Hello, I am Zeke Arani Lucas, and I am the introspective developer. Hello, and welcome back to my second episode of uh, of my podcast. Um, today, I want to talk a little bit about how gaming gave me my professionalism, gave me my 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 attraction and my passion for playing games as a kid um, actually is formed the basis for my, you know, my, pro my professional career, my professionalism in the workplace. Um, I wouldn't say this was deliberate. In fact, um, well, let's just talk a little bit about, I'm, I'm not talking about professional playing games or professional game design skills, although those are quite interesting too, and they require a lot of playing of games. It was more like, professionalism as the abstract quality that uh, basically all employers look for, no matter whether you're in an office or, you know, playing sports or, you know, working as a waiter or, you know, software developer, they're all, there's always this aspect of professionalism. And, um, and it's something that this abstraction here is something that uh, most people know intuitively, like they can be someplace and when they're interacting with somebody, they can say whether or not this person is acting professional, even though you can usually make this decision, um, this assessment on relatively few qualities. Um, the, the, the US Department of Labor has like, you know, it's like a, a page about this sort of thing. I mean, like lots of different interpretations of professionalism out there, but the, the list that I think is, you know, pretty good kind of synopsis is, it's like responsible, ethical, team-oriented, good communication, interpersonal, and problem-solving skills. So these are things that apply to basically every situation that you have at workplace. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, how gaming applied to me, that applied to these different qualities, or how they, um, they gave me those proper, these qualities. But the first thing I'm gonna just talk about is how I realized it, because it, because it wasn't part of my plan. Um, I worked as a, at a gas station at one point, and I was just during the night shift and I ended up being promoted to manage a gas station in part because there was nobody else qualified to do it. And, and my qualifications were quite minimal. It was mostly that I had paid attention to my manager and how he did his paperwork. Right. Um, and during my first assessment, and I wasn't actually kind of stylistically i was not what you'd say typical management material and in fact they wanted me to cut my hair and change the color of my hair and you know clean myself up and you know behave differently which you know is not worth it to me for the shitty shitty job at a gas station but um but i would wear a hat and i would pretend that i was at least kind of normal looking under the covers when i had my first assessment uh, after i'd been running the station for like three months um, I found out I was running the gas station better than any of the managers that were in the, the memory of the people who had worked there. Um, this is this is kind of a combination of of you know paperwork so that the paperwork was super clean and readable and you know resource management, making sure that the pumps were always full and that the books were balanced and um, and then I also had this had an indexing system you know, of my own design where I could go back over the different uh, roles and find any single transaction in the ticker tape. Um, 
like this. And it, and it turned out, and I, and I could do my paperwork in an hour and a half, and I trained my, my assistants in the store to do it also in an hour and a half, and it took the other station manager six hours to, to do the same paperwork. And when they asked, how did, you, how did you get so good at you know, managing a gas station? And I, I thought about it for a while, and I thought back, and I thought back, and I realized it all came from playing pen and paper games. So I started out as, you know, basically as long as I can remember, I loved to play games. It was, you know, card games and, you know, even just, you know, checkers and board games and whatever else. By the time I got to age 10, I had, you know, I was trying to play bridge with my grandparents, always trying to convince people to do, you know, play whatever board game was around. Um, and then I discovered, this is, you know, 1981, I discovered uh, Dungeons and Dragons, to be quite honest. But I didn't get to play Dungeons and Dragons because I couldn't afford the books. I just had it kind of described to me. So I started playing um, my own version of Dungeons and Dragons, which was just completely without the dice or the books or anything else. It was just kind of uh, my own personal dungeon crawl adventure thing, which sometimes I would have a person with me. Um, I would, you know, like a friend or something like that or another kid at school would play with me where I would just kind of, we'd just kind of build a dungeon on a map and build a little adventure and a little story and the group would get bigger and the treasures would get bigger and all this other stuff. So it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't buy the things. But as I got, as I, you know, kind of grew into my tweens and teens, I actually played more and more of these games and, um, and they all kind of followed the same model of the, I'm going to say open-endedness of my original kind of you know, not D&D, anti-D&D uh, game. Um, I played Hero Games, Chaosium Games, Battletech, which when I bought the first version was actually called Battle Droids, Car Wars, um, you know, which is, you know, Steve Jackson names a whole bunch of different things. They, they uh, yeah, so how did they teach me professionalism? Let's go back to the different qualities of being a professional. Um, the first one I think that is that is really is really common is uh, communication. So when I first started playing these games, um, I was a fairly uh, I, I wouldn't say antisocial, but asocial. I was mostly a kid. I just kind of um, spent most of my time reading books and focusing on the inside of my head, which had a lot of action going on inside of it, and so I didn't um, I didn't focus outward very much, and you know, like my handwriting, which I'd always been fascinated by writing conceptually because I love to read so much, but um, my handwriting was always really, really terrible. But as soon as I started to, you know, have to keep track of my own information, meaning that it was where I was playing these games and I had, you know, lists of things or character sheets or um, um, storylines or all this other stuff, I had to read my own notes. This over the course of a few years, fundamentally changed my handwriting. That's the first most distinct thing is I, I switched from my handwriting being something that somebody else evaluated, whether it was useful, to being something that I evaluated for my own purposes. And, um, and, and I had to have handwriting that I could use. Um, similarly, you know, uh, like I said, I already did a lot of reading, so that wasn't a place where I, I kind of focused here, although other people might. Have, have focused there, but also uh, speaking and listening. 
all of these games fundamentally kind of required some socialization. They required working with others, um, which we'll kind of get to team building here in a second. But that, 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 that kind of just how do you get information back and forth? How do you exchange things in an efficient and effective manner? Um, turns out to be something of, of like crucial importance in all these games. And, and, and in fact, there's many different kinds of communication style. There's sometimes which is like the setup where you're, you're just trying to explain the rules of something. And that's one sort of uh, communication style. And another, and, or, and similar, like listening to the rules, like, you know, like somebody's gonna give the rules and you have to re retain them and connect to them, you know, relatively fast so that you can play effectively with, with your, your group. Um, but then separately would be like the, the storytelling games, it's a completely different type of story of, of communication. So this kind of formed the basis of, I, I'm going to say my social skills. I mean, like you could see it. I, you know, I also organized a bridge group, a regular bridge group where we, you know, we just play bridge. Um, and as well as tournaments and campaigns for all of these different games. Um, the next area We'll kind of go into it is the the teams and respect sort of thing um you get the kind of obvious stuff like i said where you, you go oh i have to organize a bridge group and we actually have to formalize the way that we communicate because bridge has very formal rules for communication um and the the style of of interaction is uh, i don't know i'd say specific almost to to bridge but also like that you really want people to come back the, the key element of of teams, I would say, is this core communication style, which includes respect. And the respect is important because that's why people, uh, that's why people come back to play again. That's why they come back to, that's why they um, support the activity, right? Like, so if they don't feel like they're part of the, the, the group, if they don't feel like if somebody's, you know, playing a, you know, a, let's say a, a Pendragon campaign where you're going to, you know, you're on a you know a group of knights and stuff like that, but one person is always the peasant. You know, eventually he's going to quit playing. You know, because he doesn't feel like he has a, a, a an important enough role in the team or the group. Um, I say he because pretty much all the gamers when I was a kid were 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 well socially challenged boys. I'll just say most of them were. You get a lot of exper experience dealing with people who. Uh, <laughs> have some social difficulties um and and then of course there's other kinds of team experiences too like there's these kind of basic ones but then there's also uh i mean ex exploring anybody who's run a campaign and actually wants to you know if you're running it you're the the game master the dungeon master or whatever you want to call it the referee you're the world builder and you have a storyline and you have a, a plan for the group and then you have a group of other people um that are that are supposed to follow your goals, supposed to follow your narrative, and 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 man, do they go off the rails fast? It's so easy for a team to suddenly, you know, get obsessed with some sort of you know interpersonal fighting, even though they're playing characters. The characters themselves will start picking on each other, or start having problems with each other, or picking fights with. I mean, the local flora and fauna or something like that and so pretty soon your campaign or your story is completely you know roasted it's completely busted and you have to go back 
and uh, figure out how to get it back on track. And this is, I mean, this is about, you know, coercion. This is about connection. This is about um, finding passion or direction, common values. These are, these are all team skills. Um, if, as I was talking about these campaigns, of course, this is where another big professional skill came up. Um, all of these games require a lot of management. I mean, they actually have a lot of project management. So, you know, for, for example, playing Battletech, I had, um, I think by the time I was 16, I had somewhere on the order of I don't know, maybe 10 books, different Battletech books, and uh, about, I mean, about somewhere around like a thousand sheets of paper that described all of the different mechs I had designed or I played with or, you know, configurations for groups and tactics. And I mean, it was, you know, quite elaborate. And you had to have, like, in order to go to a tournament or go to a, you know, one of these gaming sessions, you had to be able to, you know, get in and out of these books and get in and out of these, uh, you know, my own personal sheets of paper um, extremely fast. This required a lot of pre-processing and a lot of paper, you know, like indexing, organizing, um, structuring of the, the, the documentation. You know, similarly, you know, building, um, you know, a campaign, you know, for a role-playing game would, would take a really long time and would have... A lot of metadata and <clears throat> you know things to hand out, little handouts or um, inserts or you know drawings, uh, hoodads and widgets, so that you could have a really positive experience and actually have the game take off at the the you know engage people really really fast and easily. Um, and the the last area I think that is super important is dealing with ambiguity and uh, doing problem solving. Most of these games have, uh, you know, like if you look at like Games Workshop or something, it had, you know, so many rule books, you couldn't have them all. I mean, unless you were super wealthy and so many rules that they can't all be rationalized against each other. So you'd have to, you know, kind of really think abstractly about how things might work together or how they interact, imagine, them and you know plan for you know lots of different possibilities so this is this ambiguity this adaptability dealing with ambiguity curiosity self-driven kind of you know research exploration and you know uh, conditional planning is something that like I'll just say school did not teach like school was really about like, hey, there is a deterministic outcome and you're looking for one possible, like they're looking to grade you mostly on what they already know. And, you know, in, in gaming, it was always to come up with, most of the time it was to come up with something that you didn't know. The outcome was not predetermined. The evaluation was not clearly owned or described. Um, and in fact, it was often negotiated. You'd always be working with, you know, like, uh, other players or um, groups and organizations. Um, yeah, so the, this is this is a different, you know, the core of, I think, how gaming gave me these professional skills. I also call out that I didn't know I was doing it at the time, and I was only really doing it because 
you know, I loved games so much, and in order to be have the best possible experience with the games, then I had to invest in these these areas. Um, I thought I found it interesting that kind of society at the time and my and my mom and school all kind of didn't think that this was a good use of time. They didn't really recognize the kind of uh, the kind of how they they didn't know how to evaluate the the qualities that I was developing by playing these games. Um, I think my mom probably more so than others kind of saw that there was, you know, like some some meta potential, but everybody kind of really focused on like my grades, which didn't not always do as well um, because it just wasn't didn't fit the way that I thought or learned. Um, yeah, so I guess this is this is what my, my call out to people would be to remember that, you know, like like excellence and professionalism can kind of come from everywhere. I mean, it's a little bit of a Bill and Ted moment, you know, be excellent to each other, be excellent to yourself, be excellent to the world in general. Because if you're doing, whatever you're doing, if you're bringing excellence, then um, that builds a habit of doing excellent work, which applies then as soon as you have an opportunity that where you really need that excellence, because not everything requires excellence, but um, certainly everything benefits from from excellence and 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 uh, yeah, so find your passion. Make sure that you bring excellence to it, and uh, I'll see you in the next podcast. Thank you. <laughs>